everybody this morning. Um, Before we go into our text today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, uh, continuing in our study in Luke. Let's go before the Lord in prayer, first of all. Lord, I'm just so thankful for that last song that we sung, because for multiple reasons. For one, for the fact of just the knowledge that my sins are separated from me as far as the east is from the west, that you forgave me so much. Um, a debt that I just couldn't calculate even if I wanted to. Um, And I thank you for the verses that we're going to look at tonight and an illustration of your love and of your forgiveness. I pray that you would teach us through the words of your scripture written down by Luke, that you would renew our minds. We thank you so much for your goodness. Have your way in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 7. Again, we'll be focusing on verses 36 through 50 tonight. Uh, This is an account that a lot of people are probably familiar with. You've heard it more than once, I'm sure. Um, We will read the verses, but before we read the verses, we need to make an important distinction about this account and what's going on. Um, in In these verses, we see a story of a woman that comes before Jesus and washes his feet with her tears, dries his feet with her hair, offers perfume to his feet, kisses his feet. And we have a similar story in other Gospels, but it's a, it's a different story. And I want that to be clear in your mind before we go into it. There's an account that we find in Mark 14, through, through, 3 through 9, Matthew 26, 6 through 13, John 12, 2 through 8. And all of those stories seem to be uh, similar or the same account. And in each one of those accounts, the woman that's coming forward, we, she's named in John, is Mary, the brother, excuse me, the, the sister of Lazarus. So she's not a woman of ill repute that we, that we read about. In this verse, it's a di- different story. In that, in that section, in, in, the, in the verses that I just mentioned, um, the woman that comes, um, it comes into the house of a guy named Simon, but he is a leper. And in this, we have Simon who is uh, a Pharisee. Two different people, two different places. Um, and the other account that we see, uh, Lazarus' sister Mary, that happens right before the Passion narrative. They're in Bethany right before Christ goes in uh, to Jerusalem for the final time. So it's just something, uh, it's easy sometimes to get different texts confused, so just make sure that you have a clear distinction in your mind so you're not linking connections that shouldn't be linked. At the same time, there might be some connections that need to be made. I uh, just wanted to make, put that in our minds before we read the text. Also, uh, just kind of the two main real themes of this passage that we see is self-righteousness contrasted with humility um, as two people from opposite ends of the so- social spectrum here are interacting with Christ. And we also see very clearly the authority of Jesus Christ that's definitely at the forefront in these verses. So let's go ahead and read Luke 7, 36 through 50. And I'll be reading this morning out of the New King James Version. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, him being Jesus. 
And he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrance oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who is is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, this is verse 40, And Jesus said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them loved him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to you, said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is is this who even forgives sins? Then he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray one more time. Lord, we thank you so much for this historical event and this account. We thank you for this example of Christ, for showing us uh, how you desire for us to respond to your Son how to treat our brothers and sisters, and how to interact even with unbelievers. Uh, Teach us, Lord, in this time, uh, from your word, what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we see here in these verses an illustration of Jesus' association with sinners. A central feature of this historical account is the contrast, again, uh, between the love shown by a woman who has been forgiven her sins and the lack of love displayed by Simon the Pharisee. Also, the question of who Christ is figures prominently, as we have said. Last week, from the previous verses, we discussed the identity of Jesus uh, as requested by John the Baptist. Uh, many people had wondered in John's ministry who he was. You know, what is his, the significance of his ministry? What is his, pur- uh, what is his purpose? Uh, was, he, uh, was he a prophet? Um, was he the Messiah? You know, Jesus himself says no. Uh, was, the, was he the prophet Elijah foretold by Malachi? You know, Jesus answers these questions in the previous verses and even more clearly in Matthew 11. But likewise, there are people that are wondering to the identity of Jesus. Who's this guy? He's been uh, doing, performing miracles. If you recall, we, he just had raised somebody from the dead that we read about recently. Um, so why, uh, you know, why does he not live in the wilderness like John? You know, what kind of prophet is he? How does he teach with such authority? How does uh, he perform these, these amazing miracles? How, how in the world does he raise somebody from the dead? I'm sure Simon the Pharisee was wondering um, these types of things, but he definitely has doubts as uh, is laid out in the verses that we read today. 
So you know, who are the primary players in the story? We see, we see Jesus, who is willing to come into a Pharisee's house. Uh, we see in the New Testament that for the most part, Pharisees are enemies of Christ and his ministry. Uh, but we do see some exceptions. We see uh, Pharisees come to Christ. Anybody name a, a Pharisee that came to Christ? Nicodemus, there's a, that's a great example. Um, I've heard him referred to as Nick at night because he <laughs> came sneaking, sneaking in at night. No, so you know, so Jesus is going into the house of a Pharisee even to minister to him and to and tell the truth there. The the next person we see here is Simon, who is the Pharisee, uh, who who doubts Jesus. We also see in this beautiful story the woman who has been forgiven. The one who lavishes gratitude and love on Jesus, uh, but you know, but who is she? What do we know about her? It doesn't say anything by name. Um, through history, a lot of people have proposed that this is Mary Magdalene. I think probably not personally. Um, you know, there's no evidence in Scripture anyway that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute or was known for uh, sexual immorality. According to the account that we have in Luke chapter eight, Mary Magdalene was freed from multiple demons by the power of Christ. <coughs> Uh, but we not have uh, her name here in this section. Uh, so we don't know for certain the identity of the woman. Uh, maybe that's on purpose. Maybe Luke didn't know. Um, might have been a, a story that he was told. There's, uh, there's different conjecture, but we don't know 100% who this woman is. But whoever she was, she was widely known in this community, in this town, as a sinner. That was her uh, number one designation. Uh, she had a reputation for living a sinful lifestyle. It doesn't say specifically in this verse what that sinful lifestyle is. Uh, throughout history, many have posited that she was likely a prostitute, uh, which was not, un- unfortunately, an uncommon profession at this time. It was a lifestyle that would have been condemned, certainly, by practicing Jews. Uh, but in any case, uh, in, in this Jewish predominantly Jewish community, she, if she was a prostitute, she would have been almost universally shunned by people who were considered respectable people in the community. Um, so she was a sinner. That was her designation, and that's how people looked at her. Uh, it was a, a likely objectionable for people to even think of her coming into a Pharisee's house, because mind you, Pharisees were respected religious rulers. A lot of times we hear the word Pharisee, and our first thought is very negative. And somebody says Pharisee, and we think, eh, at this time, Pharisee would have been somebody's house that would have been very respected. So let's look at these verses and go through them one at a time. Verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees came to him to, and uh, asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. You know, we see throughout Scripture, and we well know that Jesus had great care and compassion for the lowly, for the sick, and for the poor. But likewise, you know, he also had interest in respectable members of society. You know, they need the gospel too. Jesus was willing to eat with sinners, and he was willing to eat with the self-righteous. Um, and this, uh, this verse bears that out. Well, why, why did Simon ask for Jesus to come? That's uh, kind of the first question I was curious about. The verses here do not specifically tell us why, what Simon was thinking. We don't know. You know. Perhaps he was looking for an opportunity to trip up Jesus. We see that with other Pharisees in Scripture. Uh, perhaps it's quite possible that he wanted to hear more about this upstart rabbi that's doing these miraculous things and garnering such a following. It is likely that Simon was curious, curiously wondering about Jesus. Um, you know, all these people, all these people around saying he's a prophet, but Simon is doubting that Jesus is a prophet. And after Jesus lets this woman touch her, he's like, "No, nah, there's no way he's a prophet. If he if he was really a prophet, this wouldn't have happened." So we have verse 37. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. 
And she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. So this is kind of an odd, odd picture to think in our culture today, but uh, at the culture at this time, things were a lot different. They didn't have, especially in this part of the world, they didn't have tables that you sat down in with chairs. That didn't happen. Tables were very low to the ground. Um, and when there were meals, uh, there, weren't, there were no chairs per se. They had pillows and, and those types of things, and the guests would recline at the dinner table. Uh, they would normally lean on, with their left arm and eat with their right hand. Uh, their legs would be out to the side, so everybody's sitting around the table, and likely their legs would be back behind them too. So it would be easy to walk. If somebody was in front of you at the table, it would be easy to see their feet right there. That would be easily accessible. It's not like you had to go sneak under a table to get to somebody's feet. Um, it was also customary at these types of meals to let all, all kinds of people enter the house and sit along the walls. If there was an invitation for a dinner party, the dinner guests would sit at the dinner table um, and the rest of the people would surround. You could take part of a conversation, but you weren't the official dinner guest. There were the dinner guests at the table, but you could line the walls and have part of the conversation. It was, very, it was definitely a more communal lifestyle than we're used to in our day and age. So we have this amazing woman and just think, you know, what courage she must have had to walk right into this place where she knows that she's despised the most. It's, it's not like she has to wonder about what these people think. She knows. She's seen the eye rolls. She knows what's their, what they're thinking. But she sits down right behind Jesus, and she's overcome with emotion as she lavishes love and gratefulness upon him. Uh, she really knows Jesus. I really think that this is, uh, the verses bear out that this is, prob- this is not their first interaction. Um, she's not crying because she's in need of forgiveness, uh, though you know, that's likely an aspect of why she's crying, remembering that. But she's displaying this great act of selfness, selflessness and love because her debts have been wiped away, uh, which she, well's known. she well knows that. Her debts have been expunged, as we see in the coming verses. She's been forgiven, and she is thankful, so she's here responding in love and gratefulness. She brings an alabaster container of fragrant oil. Unlike the story that we see with Mary of Bethany, she's not chided, chided for lavishing this great expense upon Jesus. Um, she's just uh, judged for even being there, for touching him. And uh, This was likely a costly perfume. This is perhaps uh, one of her most valuable possessions. It's if she was a prostitute, it's very possibly something that she purchased with this money that she has made immorally. And it is very likely that everybody in the room is thinking that while she's doing this thing. Oh, well, that's her. Well, you know how she got that expensive thing. You know, It's likely that everybody there is thinking that very thought. Can you imagine the eye rolls? Can you imagine? But this amazing woman here is not dissuaded. The woman's intention... This is conjecture. I thought I think that she probably just intended to go in there, uh, show some love to Jesus, and maybe anoint his head. That would have been what would have been customary to do with such a perfume. Uh, I think personally that her emotions just got the better of her. Um, I don't think she was planning to cry so much that she could wash Jesus' feet. That's not something you generally plan. Let's see, I'm going to work up enough tears to do some scrubbing today. I think she was there to, to be, look, I'm, you know, I've been changed. I'm made new. I'm going to come here and show him how thankful I am. And then in the moment, she's just overtaken, and uh, the tears just flow, flow so much that she can wet feet enough to wash them. If she knew beforehand that she was planning to do that, she probably would have brought a towel to dry the feet. But we don't have, she doesn't have a towel here. She finds herself 
washing feet with tears without a towel, so she lets down her hair to dry his feet. Um, it was considered inappropriate for a woman to do this in this setting, so here comes more eye rolls, likely. A respectable lady does not act in this way. Uh, what she's doing is definitely socially unacceptable. And that's not how we do things here, I'm sure, is what people were thinking. You know, um, she still comes to this house, already knowing what people thought, especially the Pharisee and his friends. Uh, but she also already knows what Jesus thinks. She's not afraid of being shunned by him. She doesn't come in there and do this thing and think, oh, man, is he going to reject me too? Is he going to say, "Not hey, what, later, I'll, uh, maybe outside or something? No, he, he sticks up for her. Um, I, mean, I just try to imagine what that scene was like as everybody's staring on and wonder, what is this that's going on? This is something that doesn't happen. This is likely something that nobody has seen before. Something has happened to this woman. Something is, this, this makes no sense. And just imagine the fragrance filling the room. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would know what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. You know, Simon, so Simon here thinks to himself, well, I guess he's not a prophet. People have been talking about it, but obviously not. Because if he was really from God, if he really had some special knowledge from God, his sinner sensors would be blinking uh, red hot right now. It'd be off the charts. Um, notice Simon the Pharisee does not share these thoughts with the group. He just sits there and thinks that himself as he's staring at what's going on. Uh, he's, he is now convinced that Jesus is not a prophet. He does not have any type of secret knowledge. He's not from God. But, he answers, uh, but Jesus answers Simon's unspoken disbelief. Uh, verse 40. And Jesus answered him, saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, Teacher, say it. Um, this guest, who Simon supposed could not possibly be a prophet, had the capacity to read thoughts. But uh, that this uh, is merely the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the authority of Jesus Christ. I mean, he can raise the dead. Reading somebody's thoughts is, uh, is not, doesn't seem that big a feat. He's definitely got special authority. Um, just a real quick aside, too, because we didn't discuss who Simon is. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about Simon. I thought it was interesting uh, that there was another passage with another person uh, that was a similar context that was Simon the leper. I was like, man, there's a whole lot of weird, strange similarities. But then I was looking at Simon's in the Bible, and there's a lot of Simon's. We have uh, Simon Peter in Matthew 4.18. We have Simon the Canaanite, also Simon called Simon the Zealot in Matthew 10.4. He was one of the apostles. We have... Simon, Jesus' brother in Matthew 13, 55. Simon the leper that we see in Matthew 26, 6, and the other account that I was telling you about with uh, Mary. And then we have Simon the Cyrene, Matthew 27, 32. He's the one that helped carry Jesus' cross, if you remember. Uh, we also have Simon the Pharisee here in Luke 4, uh, 7, 40. There's also Simon Magnus, who is the magician, if you recall the story in Acts. And we have Simon the Tanner, also from Acts, who um, Peter stayed at his house when he had the, the amazing vision. So we don't know a whole lot about this Simon, but it's not, it's not so crazy coincidental. There's two people in two different towns named Simon that had something significant that was similar happen in their house. So um, yeah, just to clear the air with that. But in the next verses as we go, Jesus tells this parable to Simon, which starts in verse 41. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. 
And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely uh, forgave them. Tell me, therefore, which of them love, uh, will love him more? So he asked Simon this question. I'm sure Simon's already thinking this is uh, interesting that I was having these thoughts and you asked me this question. And I'm sure Simon's making some sort of connection here. Um, but as we look at this, first of all, what is a denarius? That's an interesting term. We don't use denarius in the United States. Uh, we see elsewhere in Scripture that one denarius was approximately one day's wages uh, for a laborer. Uh, Roman citizens were, uh, excuse me, Roman soldiers were have said to have been paid one denarius per day. With this in mind, you know, fifty denarii would have been a hefty sum. Well, that's fifty days' wages. If you're working five, six days a week, you're looking at close to two months. And if you're having to put food on your table and support your family, how am I going to pay off two months' wages? That's going to take a long time. If that was forgiven, you would be like, oh man, thank you very much. Um, 500 denarii, on the other hand, would have been a heck of a lot of money. Uh, that's a, I mean, you're talking about close to two years' wages over your head that you're trying to survive and pay that. If somebody forgave you two years of, <laughs> nearly two years of, of your income, that would, be, uh, that would be huge. Yeah. So this question is posed to Simon, and it seems to be a very simple answer. Simon, uh, in verse 33 answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. I like how Simon says, I suppose. <laughs> like, he already sounds sarcastic. He's like, uh, uh, his answer, the answer is obvious. And Simon, I think, knows uh, what Jesus is getting at. And we've got verse 44. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. Jesus' first question is, do you see this woman? Which seems like a simple answer, but the answer is yes, and the answer is no. Um, Simon does not regard this woman. To him, she may as well not even exist. Um, he's a teacher from, of the scriptures. You know, he should be one of those people in the community that is a, somewhat of a bridge towards God. But he's definitely not that for her. Uh, in his mind, all she is is a sinful woman. And he's a Pharisee, and never the twain shall meet. Uh, there are prayers in the Talmud and other Jewish prayer books from this time period that would have included prayers that said things similar to this, that would have said, Blessed are you, O God, King of the universe, who has not made me a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. It is very possible that this Pharisee was instructed to express a similar prayer every morning as he was going through uh, rabbinical training as a, as a young man. So, so the answer here is no, the Pharisee did not see her see her. He recognizes that she's in the room, but she, he hasn't even given her two thoughts other than negative ones. But um, just as Simon doesn't esteem her, Jesus does. He, he values her greatly and spoke up in her defense in front of a room of people that were just ready to shun her. And he, and he had no qualms speaking up for her. In verse 45, Jesus said, you gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. Verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. So perhaps, <coughs> excuse me. So perhaps Simon has not been completely discourteous to Jesus. He did invite him to his home, which was a courtesy in and of itself, but he did not go out of his way to show any form of gratefulness or even love or you know, nice feelings towards Jesus. 
Uh, Simon withheld the greeting of a common kiss, which would have been customary between friends. He, he did not have his servants wash Jesus' feet, which would have been fairly customary at this time. He did not anoint this guest of his with olive oil, which would have been customary at uh, social functions and celebrations. They commonly gave olive oil out. Uh, I, was, I, I heard somebody talking, too, that they went on, I can't remember who it is, but they were going on a, a flight to, I can't remember what country it was. It was from a Middle Eastern country to a European country. And on the flight, uh, no, it wasn't a flight. I think it was a, a drive. And on the drive, somebody came down the aisle and handed everybody a little thing of oil and it like, or, or fragrance or something like that. It was like, you guys are all, you're all are stuck in this small place. At some point, you're going to stink, and we got a long drive. So, and that's, uh, you know, that's modern day, but at this time, it would have been very common for people to hand out oil at such a, uh, olive oil, which is not an expensive substance at this time, uh, but what the woman lavishes on Jesus would have been an expensive sub- substance. And we don't see kissing of the feet instruction in, in Scripture, thankfully, but it's not without precedence in Jewish history. There are accounts in which kissing somebody's feet denoted deep reverence. Um, such was paid to religious teachers in some texts. It was an expression of gratitude. Kissing was a common greeting indeed, but we, it, it still is in many cultures. A lot of places you go, grab you by the shoulders, give you two big kisses or one. Uh, very common, uh, and, and we see even in Scripture that brothers are uh, exhorted to greet one another with a holy kiss. So it was a very common greeting at that time, but kissing the feet was definitely something that was unusual. And we see here verse 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Wow, I mean, what a statement. Now this woman, as Jesus was saying, is not forgiven because she expressed love to Christ. It wasn't this act of love that, that made her worthy of some sort of forgiveness. She's expressing love to Christ because her 500 denarii have been wiped away. That debt's gone, and she knows it. She knows her great debt, and it's gone, and she's thankful. Jesus regards the woman's love as a consequence and not the cause of her forgiveness. In verse 47, Jesus declared the woman's forgiveness is on the grounds of her faith, not on her love. The love is a byproduct it should be noted um, that in the Hebrew Old Testament, there's no specific verb that's used to thank. Because a lot of times, I wonder why it didn't say, who would, you know, your debt is cleared. Who would love him? If I got a, if I got a letter from a creditor and it said, you, you know, your houses are paid for. I'm like, awesome. I love this dude. You know, we think, like, no, I'm thankful. Maybe I'll get him a basket of flowers. We, I wouldn't think I was sending him a basket of, of fruit or something out of love. You know, I wouldn't have been the word I would have chosen. But uh, in this context, those things are love and thankfulness are, are more closely linked here um, in thought here as we see in Scripture. Um, so we've got Thanksgiving approaching. It's, you know, it's one time of year that a lot of us stop and ponder th- thinking about thankfulness. We know we think about thankfulness different times of year. But as we do, you know, uh, let's not only have the attitude of thankfulness, but let's also sh- see how we can show thankfulness with our actions, how we can be actively thanking and loving. You know, also in this uh, story, we see forgiveness, is, and it's tied to this idea of remission of debt. This debt is taken uh, and it's forgiven. 
And we see the similarity between being forgiven for sins and being forgiven for, the, for debt. The two ideas are really closely linked in Jewish thought as far as debt forgiveness, forgiveness debt, more so than it is for us. When I'm talking to Selah about forgiving somebody, you know, I don't normally think, now you, this person owes you a debt and you need to forgive that debt. But there is a sense when we're talking about forgiveness that that is, that is the truth. That's exactly what's going on. A lot of times we think about in our culture and our way of thought, we think of uh, forgiveness as I have bad feelings for this person and I want my feelings to be good feelings. So I'm trying to change my feelings. With the, when it really is, dude, this person did you wrong. They owe you one and you owe them. If, if by rights, if things were to be made right, you would be doing something back to them to make this even from what has just occurred. Because what they did is wrong, and you were not in the wrong. If you want this to be even, you know, then that's, that's, you have to take some sort of action. So forgiving somebody genuinely is, look, to make this right between you and me, you're negative one, I'm plus one, but I'm willing to forgive that debt um, just as I've been forgiven. So next time when you're thinking about forgiveness and forgiving somebody, you know, not always when you forgive somebody you think, you know, rosy thoughts about them all the time, but have you, you know, have you really settled that score in your heart? It's different. So let's continue. It is also important to point out here that the Greek word that's used uh, for forgiven is used in the perfect tense. She's completely forgiven, and her state of being of forgiveness is going to continue. It's not that she was forgiven one time in the past, and that was a past action, and inevitably she'll have to keep being forgiven because uh, that, that action wasn't a complete action. This is complete and perfect forgiveness. She was forgiven. She is forgiven. Jesus doesn't hold it over her head. She is forgiven. That debt, uh, $500 denarii debt, is gone forever. When it comes to uh, sinfulness, you know, being outwardly clean and inwardly clean are two very different things. Uh, we see here in Luke 18.10, I'll read it for you. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. So how do we come to Christ? We come just as this woman has in faith. Just like the woman in this story. Uh, then we respond with love once we have been cleansed and made right. And it's interesting, too, just to think of the different types of prayer that we see in Scripture and people raising their hands to heaven. A lot of times we think of like that as being Pentecostal, like people raising their hands and praying to the sky. But that was kind of the common way of doing it. The, the person that was odd man out in this prayer session was a guy that couldn't even raise his eyes to heaven. This is an interesting, interesting thought. So we have this Pharisee who had studied all the law and the prophets. Um, still, though, his standing with God, he feels, is based upon his outward actions. He feels that he's the one that's in the room that's right with God. He does X, Y, and Z. He can tell you how many prayers he prayed this week. He can tell you how much he has tithed. He knows all the positive things that he has done, um, all the traditions that he has kept, even extra-biblical requirements. But his heart 
um, has not kneeled before the Lord like this woman has. Verse 48, And Jesus says to her, Your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table uh, with him began to say to themselves, Who is this that forgives sins? You know, Jesus is declaring to the woman that, and to everybody in the earshot for that matter, that her sin debt is completely gone. And we see in a prior verse that she's already forgiven, but Jesus states it publicly and states it with authority. Uh, remember, you know, we remember the story of the paralytic that is lowered down to the roof uh, by, by his four friends, and Jesus heals him, but he also forgives his sins. Jesus is uh, the only person in human history that can boast that type of authority to forgive sins himself. He's the only one that can forgive that debt that we owe. Um, it's uh, just a powerful thought. Imagine seeing somebody say that in, in, <laughs> in the flesh. I'm also, I'm, you know, I'm all, sometimes I'm surprised at how many people try to kill Jesus, but then I hear things like that, and I'm surprised that more people didn't try earlier <laughs> for ones that didn't, that didn't believe. It's just amazing. We see in Ephesians verse 2, 8, But for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works. So it was uh, grace that Jesus has on her, and it's through her faith um, that she believes and is saved. And while studying this you know, section, I was thinking about um, the, this lady, and what if, you know, what if she was just maybe more of a regular, run-of-the-mill Jewish uh, upstanding moral Jewish woman that hadn't lived the type of lifestyle she had. You know, what if her story was a little bit more similar to mine, but she still came to Christ for forgiveness? Would she still have displayed, you know, such gratitude and love? Um, do I display, you know, the gratitude and love that my debts warrant? You know, I could make a, for all the money that I make in the rest of my life, couldn't pay off my debts to the Lord. Verse 50, then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So we see here, you know, again, Ephesians 2.8, for grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, as a gift of God, not of works. It is the faith that has made her well. What, what is she saved from? He says, so you've saved you or made you whole. What was he talking about? What is she saved from? Is it her lifestyle or... What is Jesus even saying? Anybody have any ideas? That's a good one. You know, and I think looking back from the verses we have, she's saved from a debt that she couldn't pay. You know, she would have, if if it wasn't for Christ, she would have lived in this debt and ultimately had to pay the full penalty for that debt. But Jesus forgave that debt, and I think she, she realizes that. And Jesus says to her, Shalom, uh, go and remain in peace. It's just, man, what a powerful, just moving uh, story of gratefulness and gratitude. And I love the fact that Jesus sticks up for her in front of so many people. But I had, you know, just a couple of thoughts about this, about these verses, um, just implications for us. And I was thinking about this woman and the fact that Jesus forgave her and valued her. And I'm, I mean, we don't know what her, life, what her life was really like, but I'm just trying to, when I was thinking about it, I was thinking of her, you know, if she was a prostitute, what, what was her life like? What was her home life like when she was a kid? Did anybody ever respect her at any point in her life or value her? 
you know, we don't know how old she was. We don't know a whole lot of things about her. But, you know, she may have only ever been looked at as a commodity, you know, to be used, abused, and despised. Um, Jesus may have been the first person ever to express to her as a man unconditional love and forgiveness. You know, she's somebody that has obviously been shunned by all the people around her that are respectable. Um, she could have been a cheap, quick meal for, you know, uncaring and selfish, you know, quote-unquote men. Can you just imagine how, how empty and hopeless, what an outsider you would be in, in a culture like that? And, but then to encounter Christ and for him to see value, you know, and he forgave her and he accepted her and he stood up for her. Christ didn't look down on her. He didn't look at her as damaged goods, you know, and that should be our, when we're dealing with people who have gone through um, tough lives and have been um, abused and sometimes of their own making in some ways, we shouldn't look at people as damaged goods. You know, we should look at people as Christ looks at them. Also, another thing for consideration, do I act like a Pharisee? (laughs) All of us would probably say no very quickly, um, but there's a whole lot of things about culture that affect us in ways that we don't don't understand. So I would say we just need to to be careful uh, about how we treat people, how we look at people, when we, if we were to say, well, that person coming to, you know, we need to just be careful that we are not being negative in all kinds of areas and judgmental for, for a sake that's uh, of, of our own. Um, not to say that we, we don't freely accept, you know, all kinds of horrible sin in our midst and that we're, we have to do things rightly, but we can never have uh, just a negative attitude of things have to be done this way, and maybe you're not sinning right now, but you have to conform to this in order to be right in our eyes. We just need to be very careful that we're not being negative people and damaging um, the reputation of Christ by the way that we talk about people, by the way that we act in front of people, by things that we post on Facebook. just need to be careful about that. Also, number three, so do I act like a Pharisee? Also, do I act like I'm forgiven? Is is that man? Is is that part of my mode of operation? If I, I if I got a letter tomorrow from our mortgage company saying your house, don't worry about it, it's paid for. We'll give you the paperwork. Here's the deed. You're done. Oh, your rental house, that one's done too. You ain't. You don't owe us anything. You know, I, I, dude. I would be in here Sunday. You, the next Sunday I came in here, I'd be like, what? I'll be, be doing some dances I'd never done. It would, it would be getting really Pentecostal right in here because it's been, you know. Um, I, would be, I, would, I just can't imagine how excited I would be if something like that happened. But if I really look at life and truth in my life and um, eternity and the debt that I've racked up, if sin is a debt, if, if, I've, done, if I've done damage to God and sinned against Him with every action I've ever done, that is not up to his standards. Man, my debt of sin with God is something that can't be paid. It would be a lot easier for me to go ahead and figure some way to pay off two mortgages than it would be to try to repay that. I can't repay that. And realistically, that's true for each one of us that know Christ. You know, God has expunged our debt in a way that we probably, I mean, which we felt at times, but we won't really realize, I don't think, until, uh, until it all comes together. But we need to be people that react 
Um, it, we don't have to all come in here and cry and uh, wet the floor and start drying things with our, you know, drying stuff with our hair. But we we do need to be overcome. I mean, I think it's realistic that we should be overcome with emotion at time when you when you think about your debt and think about what Christ has done for us and think about how much we've been forgiven and think about the fact that Jesus doesn't look down on us and think about the fact that He values us, um, the fact that He would stick up for us in the crowd of people that would point their fingers and condemn us. You know, and that's true for every single one of us. And having that reality, we need to be people that act like we're forgiven. Um, and the last thing I just wanted to to say too about these verses let's let's be people that build bridges and not walls. You know we see this Pharisee that knew, knew, that knew a whole lot about the scriptures. He should have been one that was building bridges, not walls, but he was putting up walls even for people that would uh, freely come to Christ. Uh, we need to be making straight the path for Christ. We need to be uh, I, I love the saying. Um, I'm just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. We need to be those type of people that are not building walls or not acting in a way that people would say, man, I don't want to be a Christian. We want to be people that when they see our belief, they say, that person's got something different. I want to be like that. I want to be somebody with that type of joy. I want to be somebody um, that loves like that person loves, that genuinely cares about people, that is not, not selfish like other people I've seen. So let's do that. Don't be a Pharisee. Act like you're forgiven, and let's build bridges and not walls. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much again uh, for these amazing verses. We thank you that we get to see your heart for people. And Lord, we just, we just all have to stand here and say thank you. Thank you so much for forgiving our debts. Thank you that you've taken our sin as far away as the east is from the west. What we couldn't repay, um, you've paid for yourself. You've taken it upon yourself, and all we can say is thank you. And, Lord, we want to be people that follow you, and we want to be people that love you as you deserve. You deserve all of our gratitude and all of our love. Um, I just pray that um, in this next week, for each one of us, that you would work on our hearts, that you would draw us close to you. And that we would at some point really feel the weight of what you've done for us in a real way. Um, and we pray that we would be motivated out of love for you, um, just knowing what you've done for us. That our lives would be lives that are motivated out of love and gratitude. That people around us would know that we've been changed and that we would just be so excited walking around every day because we've hit the lottery. We really have. And it's all because of you and because of what you've done. So just pray that you would um, work in our hearts in the rest of this time that we have together and that you would move us on.